0: Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj.
1: We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big.
0: And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it
1: look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive?
0: If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners
1: around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Well, welcome in to the Forming Church Podcast. It is lovely to have you here. Will, how are you going today?
0: I'm going well, bench this, uh, this is an interesting occasion for us. We're in different houses. We're... We're separated more than we are. Usually when we record these episodes, I'm a little bit sad, but, um, we still have a great conversation and I can still see your face in fairly good resolution on my screen. And that does ease the wound a little bit.
1: Yes, we, are. as recording this, we are currently in lockdown and, uh, look, it hurts my heart a little bit, not to be in the same room as you. I feel like I haven't been in the same room as you for a long time. Will. but that's, that's okay. Um, because today's conversation is a doozy. Mmm, an absolute doozy.
0: doozy. We had a conversation about a pretty large topic, the future of evangelism in the church. And we talk about, you know, all things, including the somewhat problematic uh, relationship that some of us have with that word. And we talk about the landscape of uh, spirituality in Australia amongst non-churched Aussies. We talk about the church and digital technologies and all sorts of things with a
1: fantastic guest, we have Melinda Dwight with us today, who is the national director of Alpha Australia and um, which really does. And I, I assume most people have sort of come into some sort of contact with Alpha if you're a leader in the church, but um, such a good tool and such a, just a, a broad spectrum of the church that use it um, and just so much fruit that comes from Alpha. I love it. So um, this is a great conversation. Melinda is a, uh, awesome one of the key leaders i think in australia right now so um sit tight enjoy take some notes and we'll see you on the other side
0: this episode is brought to you by baptist care a leading non-profit christian organization serving the aged and people living with disadvantage for over 75 years
1: did you know that as well as providing residential aged care Baptist Care's Hope Street sites create safe spaces for disadvantaged and distressed individuals facing issues such as domestic violence, homelessness, mental health or addiction issues.
0: If you want to make a difference in your community, then volunteering with Baptist Care is a great way to do that. You can join the team as a pastoral care volunteer
1: or help serve at a Hope Street site or visit residents in aged care homes. On Form Church, we're always talking about ways a church can connect with a neighbourhood. And volunteering with Baptist Care is a fantastic way to do that.
0: To get involved or find out more, visit baptistcare.org.au. Well, Melinda Dwight, thank you so much for joining us to have a conversation. We are really excited to be able to spend some time having a chat with you about the future of evangelism and whatever else we get into in this chat. But before we dive into that, why don't you paint a bit of a picture for us around the life of Melinda Dwight? What does a normal week look like? How do you spend your time? Who are you?
2: I love your optimism that there's a normal week. You know, I think normal sort of that ship sailed quite a while ago. So at the moment, it's more, you know, how can I make the week more more normal? How can I pivot? How can I be flexible? You know, all those words that we really hate but love. So we have a national team. So we have, you know, people in most states. My life pre-COVID used to be being a couple of nights a week um, in another state, catching up with team, catching up with pastors, catching up with leaders. Um, We're based in London um, Alpha, so you know, sort of regular travel. I'm a passionate African, so I've been to you know, Nigeria, Congo, those sort of places about 19 times. So, a normal life for me was filled with travel and people, and um, excitement and adventure, and you know, seeking to move forward the cause of Jesus. Um, and now a normal week for me is, oh, look, I'm in the same room. Maybe I should go downstairs, you know. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. And I, I have to confess, I'm just used to being on Zoom calls. And so sometimes I just put up sticky notes saying these people are Catholic. These people are church planters <laughs> because everybody looks similar on Zoom. <laughs> mm. That's
1: good. That's good. Melinda, I'm really interested in your take on um, just a state of the, the Australian church at the moment. And I know you have a lot of contact with, you know, a broad range of denominations and, and different aspects and Mm -hmm. and facets of the church in Australia with your work um, with Alpha. What, what are you seeing um, both, you know, how's the church doing well at the moment? And, and, and what, what do you think the church is lacking right now?
2: Oh, that's such a good question. Um, Look, I can give you some observations because it seems to be changing all the time. I think the church is at a a really interesting time. You know, um, I think it's sort of almost a reformational time where we're looking at things being incredibly hopeful and incredibly dreadful. I think the spectrum of churches who are on mission And those who are on maintenance has widened. So what I mean by that is some churches just like, I just want to get back to normal. I just want my people back in their seats. I just want to see what damage or, or what effect COVID has had. And there are others who are going, right, okay, if you're going to have a lockdown, this is kind of like, you know, China. This is like, you know, real opposition. Let's just come out and let's plant, you know, 200 churches. So I think that gap between maintenance and mission is is kind of widening um, and that's really becoming more defining than perhaps the denomination or trade or tribe that you belong to. I think um, leaders are going through interesting times um, because of the changes. So, you know, generally a leader is a visionary, they want to have a plan, they want to know where they're going. How do you know where you're going when the context is changing? So I think this is the most wonderful, frustrating, exhilarating, depressing time in the church world. Um, And so I think there are some people doing it well, there are some people doing it badly, there are many of us just kind of fumbling along and hoping for the best. But I hope in all of that, we're becoming a little bit more open and dependent on the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe we've worked out that it's Jesus Church, and he's Mm. got a plan to build it.
0: Mm. Mm. I love that. I I love the mix of all of those words together that seem to be in, um, you know, contradiction, but actually the reality is that often things are many ways at once and um, we need to somehow handle the complexity and the nuance of that as we think about the future and approach it with both optimism and realism and, you know, an eye to what is really good and what is really difficult as well. Um, What about, you know, beyond the walls of the church or beyond the digital walls of the church in this current moment, What about the current sort of state of, um, I guess, the spiritual landscape for Australians who have no church engagement, who have maybe never really um, grown up in church, but um, just in terms of spirituality, we know that the kind of group of spiritual but not religious has been a rapidly growing group. So could you share just your perspectives or insights around the state of spirituality for non-churched Australians at this point in time?
2: That's a great question. And I really hope that's a question um, lots of church leaders are thinking about. I think this is ushering in the greatest season of openness to spiritual things that we've ever seen. Um, Certainly, if you're any kind of church historian, you would know that a crisis or a uh, major pandemic often ushers in renewal and reformation. And so I think we're poised at that opportunity. Certainly, all our digital searches are saying that people are searching more about prayer and God than ever before. Our research says that um, Australians are much more open to spiritual conversations. We're now getting um, conversations about emotional health and mental health. And these subjects have been really brought to the fore. Um, And part of that for me is, well, what about your spiritual health? And so being able to have those conversations, increasingly, though, Australians say, 49% say they never get to have an opportunity to talk about spiritual conversations. So we have to create the opportunity. The other thing is, as you correctly say, people are really a bit put off by religion. And historically, we can perhaps understand some of the reasons for that. But every one of those problems with religion is overcome when they look and go. You know what? I'm really not sure about the church and the royal commission, and stuff, but gee, I really like Benj. He's a great guy. So we're able to distinguish an individual and our trust in them, and therefore our openness to their faith and spiritual journey, um, as opposed to a religious discussion. So I think it's much more openness. Our research of Australians in general say 70% of Australians pray. So seven out of 10 people in your street, in your community are praying. They just don't have anywhere to talk about it. Now, perhaps they're praying, you know, the, the most prayed prayer, God help me. But they're certainly crying out so I think we had this huge opportunity with um you know involved in alpha and last year you know we we pivoted and said okay alpha can move with you we'll be in person or we'll be online I didn't think online alpha would work I sort of had this thought that people needed me there to pray for them you know because I carry the presence of God and I'm ordained and so somehow that makes a difference um, unfortunately, the Holy Spirit doesn't think that's the case. And so we had 55,000 people last year online, alone, doing Alpha, um, praying, come Holy Spirit, and he did. And because they're in their homes and they were open, they experienced the presence of God where they were in a way that was really um, accessible to them. And most of these people had never actually been onto a church property through a church building. So I think the openness about, you know, the, for, by the average Australian, if there is such a thing um, is, is really, the, it, it's really increased because we've realized we're not in charge. Mm-hmm. We're not in control. So we go on a search for some sort of spiritual answers. Mm. Yeah. I think that's,
1: that's really interesting. I'm, I'm interested in that 49% that you said, you know, don't have space to talk about spiritual you know, conversations. Do you have any insight why you think that is in our culture that we've kind of shied away from, from, you know, having spiritual conversations as just as a normal part of being a human? And maybe it's to do with the divorce of kind of, or, or the retreat of the church in, in kind of, um, you know, a power within our culture. But do you have any thoughts around, around that?
2: I have any thoughts, but not real data that I've investigated. So it's just my thoughts. I think that, you know, in our culture, you don't talk about politics or religion. I think this dynamic, most of us are having more political conversations. We all have very firm ideas about what the premier shouldn't shouldn't be doing, what the prime minister shouldn't, shouldn't be doing. And so that's kind of alleviated that barrier a little bit. And I think with religion, I think it still can be dividing. But I think we therefore don't talk about spirituality. It's kind of one of those things, perhaps as a tolerance aspect, you have your view and I'll have mine. In fact, research in America, which some may well influence Australia, is that uh, millennials don't think they should share their faith. So there's this kind of um, respect, you know, there's no, I I shouldn't be trying to proselytise, I shouldn't be trying to talk to you about my faith and convince you, we'll just agree to not ever talk about it. And I think we have to go back to the imperative of evangelism, you know, where we're actually, you know, sharing. There's a reason why we share. It is because we love you. It is because we care about you. It is because we want you to have opportunity to think about things beyond this life. Um, We want you to get in touch with that spiritual element and component. So I think there's been a taboo generally in Australia, but I think there's also been then an increasing um, reticence amongst people under 30 to talk about faith issues primarily because they don't want to defend the church. Mm. So, but you know, when I talk about, you know, Hey, I talk to God and I meditate and I do this, that that's kind of, that's an easier ask and much more real.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, when I think about that, and cause this is the waters I swim in my church is predominantly people who are de-churched or post-churched and who have, you know, just like the, any stink of um, institutional stuff. And it's just like, they want to run far from that. And I can understand that. Um, I also think there's this tension of even the word evangelism carries a fair bit of baggage and sounds a lot like evangelical, which we think about what evangelical means in the context of the States. So there's this huge sort of baggage to overcome, I think, for people to feel comfortable having those spiritual conversations without bringing people into that giant sticky mess. How do you kind of actually? help people to reimagine, um, you know, what evangelism could look like when, when we need to name the elephant in the room, that that has been done in some pretty poor bait and switch sort of ways, as well as it being bundled in with this kind of broader political kind of ideology in some places, how do you kind of, you know, re-engage the idea of evangelism and resurrect it a bit?
2: I think it depends who your market is. I very rarely talk about evangelism outside of church leaders, so for church leaders, it's all about, you know, how can I um, inspire them that perhaps the mission is go and make disciples and perhaps that's still relevant. Um, and so to talk evangelism in, in their context, and then perhaps talk more about methodology, you know, how that the message doesn't change, but the methodology does. But in my own personal life, I'm fundamentally a storyteller. You know, I love the power of a good story. Um, and so I would think of, of, of telling stories, being more like Philip in the Ethiopian, just walking alongside people, um, realising that God is already at work in people's lives. You know, he doesn't just appear in someone's life when I do. Um, that, that happened once and, you know, and, 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 um, doesn't happen with me. So we walk alongside people and we listen to where they are in their journey. And surprisingly enough, Philip doesn't, you know, stand in the, in the middle of the road and say to this guy, who's an Ethiopian in the chariot, stop the chariot and say, Hey, I'm sent from God. I want to get in your chariot. I want to, I want to change the course of your life. He just walks alongside and listens. And in that listening, there's some questions that come up. And then he seizes the opportunity to answer those questions. And so I think us sharing our stories um, and being authentic in our faith is more coming alongside. It's a listening to where they are. It's a seeking to discuss the questions that they're asking, not the questions I think they should ask or Mm -hmm. overcome the barriers I think they have. Um, And what's always surprising is that when God is at work in someone's life, and the Holy Spirit is at working with them, they actually overtake us in terms of their openness to God and their openness to spiritual things. So I think listening is really important. Coming alongside um, and, again, telling the stories, telling your own story, The, the, the greatest power and strength we have is the things that we've come through and we're able to share with others, and they go, okay, there's hope in that. If there's hope for you, there can be hope for me.
0: I love that. There's one quick follow-up question I would have. I, I really like the way that you sort of you, you use the word evangelism selectively because obviously it's kind of a handle with care sort of thing. Um, is there other language you would use if you were just talking, you know, to everyday Christians who you know that word is going to be triggering, but you, you want to actually talk about what is this aspect of faith that involves sharing good news? And I personally find that when I talk about what does it mean to share good news, that elicits a very different answer to what does it mean to evangelise. Do you have any thoughts around the language that we can use with different markets or different groups as we talk about that kind of sharing, listening, storytelling?
2: Sure. I, I mean, I think if we see the essence of our faith as two things, loving God and loving people, then how is loving people expressed? So if I love people, that will be expressed for me in praying for them because that is the most powerful way I can authentically help someone. Loving people will say, how can I share my story with them that might help them in some way? How can I come alongside? How can I be there for them in times when they need it? How do I build a bridge of trust? You know, they say you can't drive a five-ton truck over a one-ton bridge. So how do I build that bridge of trust by doing the journey with people such that there's a moment where they ask a question or they make a comment or you're able to share? So I would talk about how does loving people outwork in your life and in my life? You know, and sometimes loving people says says to a guy in a tree, come on down, I'm coming to your place for dinner. And sometimes loving people means, hey, can I have a drink of water? And sometimes loving people is being moved with compassion and, you know, and patting them on the back or touching them and and helping them see the reality of the presence of God in their world.
1: Love it. Yeah, it's good. That's good. I I um, you know, you you've named a real tension that I feel, you know, in my own life. Yeah, I'm I'm pastor. Um, But in, in the life of, you know, a lot of people in our church and we have a lot of millennials um, that, you know, actually, you know, Jesus is, is deeply foundational to who I am. And, you know, when I think about my, my friends and family who don't follow Jesus, I, I, I want them to know Jesus. And yet it's kind of seen as immoral to, to push that on someone else. And I, I love what you just said there that like to, to different people, the good news meant different things, you know, to, to. To different people, to the to, to Zacchaeus, it meant you know I'm coming to your house to the woman at the well. Can I have some water? Um, and I, I have eternal water, you know, and, and a living water. Um, and it makes it it makes it a little less. Um, here's here's the the tract for you to follow. Here's the thing for you to say. Here's the thirty second pitch, but actually conversational. And maybe that is maybe there is a real future in that for. For the for the church and for followers of Jesus, and engaging those people that are actually spiritually curious, um, I'm wondering what role you think technology plays in the future of evangelism, um, particularly if if we were to say you know and you know an indiscriminate amount of time you know vaccination rates are are high enough and we we sort of move again back to a, a, a sort of a, a stable environment where we're not locked down. Well, what, what role do you think the digital space can or will play in, in mission and evangelism?
2: Yeah. Digital space is core, central to our life. If you're a part of a church community that is not thinking about the digital space, then you have a very limited lifespan. So it's how do we coordinate the digital space with community? You know, if fundamentally following Jesus happens in community, which it does. You know, it's not it's not just a personal faith, it's a communal based faith. How do we build community in a actual and a digital way that helps people? So you know, I'm a you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of social media. Um, I think there's lots of problems with it and I set some boundaries on it. But I feel the responsibility to take my followers somewhere. You know, we, we have followers and say, so I don't do the stylized thing. I'm not, I'm not that good at it. But what I'm trying to do with it is saying, okay, how do I drop seeds that make people think? How do I invite them into the mystery? I think if we think of faith as a marketing exercise of God, we're in trouble. Whereas with we think of faith as a following of Jesus, because he did say over 60 times, come follow me. So if we think of it as following him, uh, he rarely answered questions. I can't think of a, a time, perhaps except with a religious guy, where, you know, this religious guy started talking to me said, Oh, yes, that's right, you must be born again. But in every other situation to people who work from a religious background, he just had conversations. And we are actually inviting people into the mystery of faith. I mean, you know, I'm not, Obviously, not as intelligent as you guys and as well informed, but I've been following Jesus a long time now, and I have unanswered questions. So I think the first thing in in sharing our faith or in thinking about the digital space is realize we're not there to answer the questions. This is not an information age. This is a relational age. And so, how do we share that? How do we put out questions? How do we seed things? So I think that importance in digital community that leads to personal connection is really critical. I think we can't think of a digital um, community as being televising our services to people that aren't there. No, that's just looking after your your congregation. You have to think about how are we reaching different people in the digital world and how are we taking them on the journey? How are we connecting them, you know, at at the level of um, their desire? So, you know, one of the things we found about Alpha Online is that it connects with people that can't leave the house, you know, because of physical means or, or mental means or whatever. So we are now able to enter into their world. And it's by invitation, but it's in their world. So how are we going to do that? What are we going to do? How do we engage with them? What does prayer look like? What does community look like? What does justice look like in a digital world? Um, what does the messiness of questioning and the mystery of faith look like if we, if you know, we don't have a 17-minute, you know, um, homily where you know there's a conflict and there's a resolution and it's all nicely packaged? What does digital world look like if people are on an ongoing journey where they are receiving more information than we've ever seen before? How do we help them search through that? How do we? So I think the digital world is essential. You guys are going to have to do this. I'm seeing a lot of um, older ministers basically taking early retirement and dropping out now and saying, you know what, I realise the energy needed for this next season is huge. This is a big change. This is a, a seismic shift in how The church in our society operates and they don't necessarily have the capacity to do that but you guys are going to have to pioneer this how does this look what are we going to do how do we engage the great thing about the digital community at the moment is it's relatively forgiving because we're all new you know we're all you know oh oh, no my audio is not working on zoom or oops you know the internet's we're a bit more forgiving so we have a space now where we can trial some things we'll get it incredibly right and we'll make some mistakes that can be learning opportunities.
1: This episode is brought to you by Morling College.
0: As well as their great theological study options, Morling run free courses, open nights, and public events on topics like transforming vocation, faith
1: in action, bioethics, and more. And if you're a church planter, they even run a church planting course called Scent. They have a range of scholarships, campuses in Perth and Sydney, as well as online study options.
0: You can find out more at morling.edu.au. I feel like we're in this moment and everything we've talked about so far kind of alludes to this, but we are in this moment that's kind of setting new trajectories for the future. The way that church looks is going to be different for sure the way that we use our digital technologies, we're going to continue to, to settle into that in new ways. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're in a, a moment that has um, so, so much dramatic change happening. I'm not asking you to look into a crystal ball, but if you were to paint like an aspirational vision of what um, the relationship and the posture of the church in Australia could look like maybe a generation from now, in terms of how we engage with a landscape of people who are spiritual open what would like a positive beautiful vision of that look like in your mind
2: I think it would be church leaders and churches that authentically are outward focused so that our budget our staffing our resources all reflects our values of focusing outwards i think that we should stop thinking about our kpis our success indicators as how many bottoms we have on seats and how much is in the offering plate which isn't getting passed around so we have to actually go okay for me as a leader how what are my success indicators if jesus told me to make disciples who am i discipling you know who's who's still far off and I'm calling into response. I think we have to, as as leaders, we have this opportunity to step up and lead in this situation, not by, you know, not by a top-down approach, but there's this, you know, guy who did some good stuff who said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And so if we go back to those first principles, how am I, Um, Allowing my faith to be rolled out, you know, where, you know, on Sundays or when I'm talking to people, where am I sharing the stories about how I prayed for my Uber driver yesterday? Or how are we living out authentic faith? And I think as we live that out, the ripple effects will be greater. I think we have to realize that. our success indicators are not going to be in front of us. So if we think of church as being how many people do we authentically serve and help and in what sort of areas, I, I think that we have an opportunity as a church that our society is looking for things that are more real and authentic. I think that the rise of, you know, smaller home type churches, um, places where you go and people know your name, um, you know, where where you go into a Zoom room and you connect with people straight away. I think that sense for community and connection is kind of more important. And we have to overcome the barriers to that. We have to make that easier for people who increasingly are feeling isolated and fearful and panicking and and anxious. So I think the church in general, I think we have an opportunity to double or triple the size of people who are the church, but they may not um, have a branding on them of Catholic or Angling or whatever. We have an opportunity to engage the community in a spiritual journey, even if We don't see that on our daily basis. We have an opportunity to be the church in terms of, you know, um, praying for people where they are. You know, I'm praying for people more um, in my everyday life than I ever have. When I was a pastor, we used to pray for people, but now I'm involved in this. I, I, I try and most days if I can pray for someone, which is kind of tricky when you're in lockdown, but it's that church being the church not attending church is, is how I would hope, hopefully see the future. Mm.
1: That's great. I, um, I want to give you a chance just to talk about alpha and, and what you're seeing, um, at the moment. And I, I I assume, you know, most people listening to this probably know the word alpha, maybe not everyone's experienced it or experienced it recently or seen sort of the way it's kind of innovated and changed. Um, Do you want to, I just want to give you space to sort of talk about, you know, what you're seeing, what you're excited about, uh, ways that people are kind of innovating Alpha um, today in Australia.
2: Yeah, great. Look, Alpha's pretty much just a tool to help churches. So what I'm excited about is churches who are going through the journey to think, how are we helping people explore faith? Not just looking after the people within our congregation, but how do we help people explore faith? And so Alpha is a way that you can get your church members mobilized to explore faith. I remember a guy from an organization called Youth Alive, and he said to me, I'm tired of telling young people they can change the world and getting them all hyped up, and they're not giving them a way to do that. And so what we're seeking to do with alpha youth is how do we get students going, yeah, we want to change our world, we want to do that, and then running student-led alphas at school at lunchtime, you know, and the the youth parts kind of being in the background providing donuts or whatever they're allowed to provide um, and encouraging that young person in their journey of reaching their peers and exploring faith. So Alpha, pretty much, you know, we we will see 100,000 participants in Alpha this year, 62,000 last year in Australia. We're just past 600,000 in Australia in general. So we've done our research that it's something that serves Australians. There's something in the Aussie psyche that, you know, wants to know, well, I don't know if I agree with that. What does everybody else think? That conversational going on the journey um, Alpha, you only go on one week at a time. So you know one, some people come once and they'll hear who is Jesus and then they're not really ready to hear anymore for quite a period down the, down the time. The essential thing to Alpha is really that invitation into community where every question is valid and we can respect it. There's a time part through Alpha where we've built that bridge of trust and then we have an opportunity for everyone to receive prayer. And again it's with respect, can I pray for you? Is it alright if I put my hand on your shoulder? You know, and we just really pray this, you know, most amazing prayer we can we can all um, uh, model and and um, and memorize called Come Holy Spirit, and we wait and we see what God might want to do. And that spiritual connection and spiritual moments um, really bypass our brain and get to our heart and go, okay, I've, I don't. I've been aware of the presence of God. That's why I pray. I've been aware of, you know, um, the beauty of our world. But this is now connecting me with a personal relationship with God. And even if I don't come to faith, which not everybody does, um, there's a moment where I can't deny that God is real. Where I have a, a realization of that encounter, so that's what Alpha is. It's just a way to help people have conversations. It's a way to help people explore faith. It's a way to help people experience community, which again is increasingly important in our society. So yeah, and it's also in Australia. It's the it's it's really well received because it's the gospel everyone agrees on. You know, so one week I'll be with the Catholic church, you know, and we're talking about Alpha and invitation and another time we'll be at Pentecostal church, like a, like a hill song or something. And it's all the same Alpha. And I think Aussies love that this is the essence of the gospel. We all agree on before we got liturgy and, and all of those other interesting historical things that have happened.
0: I have a very, uh, warm memories and a lot of space in my heart for Alpha, um, shortly after me and my wife got married, we ran an alpha course in our home. This is many, like a few years ago, eight years ago or so. And um, it was just so awesome. I mean, obviously the meal was one of my favorite parts and that's probably something that, you know, maybe there's some different ways of doing that sort of thing digitally, but yeah, it can create a really beautiful space for conversation. So love, love the work that you continue to do there and facilitating that for so many people. That's amazing. A hundred thousand people this year.
2: And it's all free and online, like you said. And so we will do anything we, we can to serve and help you, you know, run the model how we suggest it and then take it and make it better. But, yeah, that concept, there's something about breaking bread together that's kind of really important, Will, isn't there, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> do you, um, through Alpha or just in other spaces, have any other thoughts around the re-engagement of people who have become post church or dechurched who maybe have done alpha maybe've done alpha like 3 times in the past but are at a point where and you know I think it's a tricky it's a tricky and complex group but I I just feel like there's a lot of people that have left the institution but they haven't actively left Jesus they haven't actually necessarily left their faith they're just they've left a lot of stuff that has really clouded around the edges of that. Do you think Alpha works with that kind of group of people or do you think we need to explore other avenues or do you have any thoughts around how we, how we tell stories to people that have heard the story a bunch of times but for other reasons um, have, have felt dislocated or, um, you know, displaced in terms of the, the faith world?
2: In our census, there's 12 million people in Australia that identify as Christian, 5 million Catholic, 2 million Anglican, um, and the rest of us. There's less than 2 million that go to church. So a million to mass, a million perhaps to the rest of the church combined. So when we talk about um, non-church attending people of faith, it's actually a broad market, Mm. Um, and that's people perhaps who've never engaged with the church um, or perhaps did as a baby because of family heritage um, to people who got hurt in the church world, you know, um, and, and and frankly, you know, I've been around the church a long time. You want to compare horror stories, let's go. So I think it's like family. When, you know, family works really well, it's one of the most beautiful things that there is. When there's a separation or divorce or a dislocation in the family, it is more painful than any other dislocation, because it matters so much, because it's close to our heart. And so I think, you know, there. If you if you're a follower of Jesus, an active follower of Jesus, you don't generally walk away from Jesus. You perhaps walk away from His church, which is challenging, because when you look in the mirror, you're the church. You know, the church is not an institution. The church is you and I who are seeking to live out Jesus' style of community in our everyday lives. And perhaps we're rejecting a style or a methodology or an institution. But we, you know, people might not like the church, but again, gee, they really like Ben, they really like hanging out with his family. And, you know, Jesus told the story, a parable about this religious person who was in church going, I thank you that I'm so amazing and so incredible. And um, and then there was a sinner who was outside the church uh, and said, look, I'm not even worthy to go in there. And Jesus said he went away justified. And so I think there's a desire for God, there's a desire for Jesus in our hearts and we need to possibly, we, we need to um, to follow that in community and perhaps our community is not a religious organisation or, um, you know, an institution, although I love the church. There's not never a church that I've been to that I can't find something to love and value. Um Sometimes it just takes longer than others to find it, but it's there. Um, But other people go, well, I'm just going to go back to the essence of community, and that's okay too. I think going back to first principles is actually what Alpha's about. You know, before we had all these historic, let's go back to the element of the gospel. Who is Jesus? Why did he die? What is prayer? What is the Bible? You know, the the lack of Bible knowledge is, is quite staggering. Um, and the lack of awareness of who Jesus is. So I think when we come back to first principles, then we, we do that within community without realising it, we're actually embracing the church in its most pure form. Um, and then that community, that small group, that small community often helps us integrate. So we have situations, you know, um, Alpha's taking off a lot in the Catholic Church. We really appreciate the Catholic Church. But people who say, you know, we do Alpha and we've got community and then we go to Mass. And you know it's perhaps not quite the same experience. So then we partner with organisations like Divine Renovation and say, okay, how can we make the church, you know, in its um, institutional setting, more accessible? You know, perhaps we make sure that we have mass that's in English, or we ha- make sure that we have mass that has coffee after it. Or so, how do we use this authentic expression of faith and commitment to community, then, to then to help the institutions change? that's what i hope we would do it's be a part of the solution guys <laughs> um
1: you know so we we planted a church two years ago and um i pretty quickly realized that really without noticing it you you planted a church that looks very similar to you in yeah. your strengths and um unfortunately in your weaknesses um and one of the things you know i've realized is that you know, evangelist is, is not one of my key kind of leadership giftings and, um, without, without strong intentionality and some, some vision and some structure, um, that very easily just disappears from, from the church community. So I'm, I'm wondering, um, if you have any advice for someone who's going to start a church or going to start something new, how to, how to build in some of the DNA of, of that kind of missional sharing good news into the foundation of a church community. Do you have any thoughts around that?
2: Yeah, my thoughts are, it's painful. So I'm a serial church planner. I love being involved in planting churches have done it all my life, planted other churches. And um, I remember, once I felt the Holy Spirit asked me something, and it happens very rarely, so I remember it. I'm talking about what I'm called to do. Well, I'm called to make disciples and, you know, kind of went on that journey and kind of tried to re-engineer what I was doing so that the KPIs were more focused on making disciple. Um, But I was reading a scripture a while later and talking about what ministry gift am I to the body of Christ, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, depending on how you assess those. Um, And, you know, I went through this whole, you know, journey of discussing and thinking about that Um, and at the end of that period of time it was almost like the Holy Spirit said really doesn't matter what you think you are here's the deal you need to do the work of an evangelist and I'm like but I'm not an evangelist ah but what did Paul say to Timothy do the work of an evangelist and that's challenging because evangelism is work it is intention. Um, you know, I put something on my diary every day for years. It said, have you shared your faith today? Um, you know, have you had a spiritual moment with someone? You know, just because I, I, f- I forget to do that. You know, um, I did a silent retreat, you know, because I love learning from different parts of the church. And what really came out in that silent retreat, amongst other things, was this concept of of examination. At the end of the day, examining where was God at work today and did I cooperate with him? And learning to recognise the moments when God is at work in an Ethiopian and I just haven't been listening to the question, you know, and to try and say, okay, God, would you help me cooperate with you and so help me be more open? I prayed prayers that I really didn't want answers to. Like if you give me an opportunity to share today my faith, I will, you know, so just really put it back on God. Um, The challenging thing is he answers those prayers. So I think for those of us who are not naturally wired that way um, and perhaps have had, like I had those experiences as a kid where we had to stand on a soapbox and, Seeing on a Saturday morning when all your friends were around or something and had those sort of bad traumatic experiences you have to be intentional um and I would say every time I shared um and every time any of my staff shared in in the churches that we led um we had to share something about how we were telling our faith so we would talk about the people we're praying for we would talk about you know the seed sowing if it takes You know, it used to take six connections for someone to come to faith. If it takes 12 to 14 connections now for someone to come to faith, then we're taking them around the clock face of faith. So I need to just do my part of the link in the chain that helps them to come to faith. And it's easy for me to say my job is to equip other people to do their part, but as an authentic leader, I'm trying to go, okay, I I need to do it first. You know, uh, we, what I model will be reproduced. What I'm passionate about will come through. What I measure and value, the congregation will pick up. So, yeah, if you want to have a church that's like you, then then be the best version of you. You can be. work out how you can be a much better version of you and say, wow, I, I want a church with people who value that. But it is work and it's hard.
0: Mm, but joyous Sorry. as well. I think most most hard work you know that there, there is the the absolute joy of it as well it's a weird paradox and I think that's probably true of that. I, like I'm a storyteller like you and probably a bit of a reluctant um reluctant evangelist but that would be where I score high on those those quizzes or whatever it's just that I have some issues with you know what that has meant to certain people but I can't help but you know share stories and have those conversations and um though it can be, can be difficult, there's always um, there's an energy that opens up when you get into a conversation about real stuff and when you are speaking about matters of the spirit and the heart. And yeah. So, yeah, <clears throat> it's been awesome chatting to you, Melinda. We're going to just uh, finish up with a few rapid-fire questions. So the, the single word or single sentence answers for these okay. ones. Um, first up, what do you think is the biggest danger to the future of the church in Australia?
2: Gradual
1: drift. Hmm. What's giving you hope about the future of the
2: church in Australia? Leaders who love Jesus and are grappling to live that authentically.
0: What is uh, influencing you right now? What are you reading, listening to, watching that you're finding really life-giving and great?
2: Um, I'm getting a bit into podcasts, so I find doing that great and I love Zoom calls internationally, you know, it's much, much easier to be able to talk to people than ever before, and that's helping me.
1: If you had one book other than the Bible that you could give away to everyone, what would that book be?
2: Oh, yeah, no, I couldn't do that um, because I'm a serial book giver. You know, so I would give away literally hundreds of books a year, Um, and you know, I'll give away the case for Christ, or I'll give away you know Paul Kelly's book on coming to faith to people who don't know Jesus, and then I'll give Unigens Peterson books on just about everything to church leaders, and you know, so yeah, just can't do it. Sorry, just
0: reject the question outright. Love it. Um, what would be your two to three like practical kind of next steps or sentences of advice for people who are starting something or planting a church or, you know, exploring a new expression um, who are listening to this?
2: Yeah, pray more. Pray more. You know, write down people that you want to pray for. Um, decide at the beginning of the day to pray, God, here's my diary. What do you want to do? Pray at the end of the day, God, where did I, where did I do well? Where did I stuff it up? Just, just generally pray more
1: how can uh, people connect with you follow along with your journey connect with alpha
2: oh what a great question thank you um alpha.org.au is probably the easiest way to get all the resources of alpha you know i'm really really good on handles on twitter and facebook and instagram it's pretty much got melinda dwight in it Perfect. I'm, I'm not i'm not hiding my line i'm not smart <laughs> enough to come up with you know a question mark or something Nice. Uh, well,
1: thank you, Melinda. We uh, really appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, the work that you are doing in Australia. And I think you're, a, you're an important um, voice and leader in our nation right now. And I'm very excited about the future of, of evangelism in Australia. And um, you have so much wisdom and nuance to share that I've really appreciated. So thank you for your time. I'm sure our listeners will love it.
2: The privilege. Thanks for the privilege, guys. Can I pray for we before we finish? Are we allowed to pray?
1: Yeah. You're yeah. allowed to pray, yes. That'd be great.
2: <laughs> we'll allow it thank you father god thank you for the privilege of talking to each other in front of you lord jesus we pray that your grace will be shed abroad between us but to everyone that is listening you didn't come to condemn you came to bring light and hope and so we pray for your grace and holy spirit we pray for your fellowship that you're our comforter our counselor our guide into all truth and may this podcast be one of the ways that people are guided greater and deeper into your truth we just pray it the incredible love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you.
1: Thanks, Melinda.
0: Well, there you have it. You know what? That is the first time that somebody has prayed for us on our podcast and our
1: listeners, and didn't it feel lovely? It did feel very lovely. I do like Melinda a lot. I'm a big fan.
0: She seems very fantastic. Thank you, Melinda. That was that was wonderful. Was there a standout message or action point for you, Benj?
1: Do you know, it was um, just something that she said uh, kind of off cuff um, that the church needs to be authentically outward focused. And that just kind of really resonated with me as thinking, through the church, sometimes the church has been outward focused, but not in an authentic way or it hasn't felt authentic. It's felt sales pitchy or kind of outcome based uh, or, you know, maybe even ego driven a little bit in the way that, you know, what we're doing, what we think we should be doing, or, you know, other people are looking on, but actually as a church and a community, to get to the point in ourselves where we can be authentically outward, outward focus actually with a heart for people to love and serve our neighborhoods and our communities and our neighbors and the people in our world. Um, that's, that's where I want to be as a church. So that's, that's it's a little phrase that, mm. I, that I wrote down as she, as she talked that, I want to um, chew over a little bit more.
0: That is That is good. You know, I wonder if like, half of the problem or more than half of the problem with bad evangelism is inauthenticity because like inauthentic evangelism is not good news. If it is sales pitchy, if it is a gender driven, if it is like something that feels really forced and inauthentic, that maybe that's where like pretty much all of the problem lies. It's not evangelism. It's the posture, the authenticity, the genuine heart behind it or not.
1: Yeah, I don't think you're wrong there. That is a, a good thing. Um, what about you? What stood out?
0: Probably many things, but one thing that I think I'm going to continue to just stew on and think about a bit was the way that she talked about, um, kind of alluded to the fact that some people that are post-church, um, we, we could think about that like a divorce or like a family breakup. Mm. and um, I think sometimes people think about it just like these rebellious people leaving or these backsliders or we're very judgmental, but if we were to think about it as a family member that we've had a a rift formed between us, then we have to actually process the grief Mm. and maybe there are opportunities for reconciliation in the way that we would maybe attempt to do that within a family context is going to be quite different to You know, we lost a customer or something. So I just thought that was a useful image, maybe an image that would generate a little bit more, uh, willingness to grieve as well as maybe compassion in our response.
1: Mm. Yeah, I found that really helpful as well It's a, it's a good framing. Mm. Wonderful. Well, you can continue the conversation with us in the forming church Facebook group and uh there's a good community forming in there you can give us a rating and review on itunes you can share this episode with a friend um that's actually a great way to get on board with what we're doing here but we appreciate you we love you uh continue to 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 be you to become more like you to become authentically outward focused and uh, follow jesus